Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series, Confident Faith, again today with a message titled, Entertaining God. So turn on your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to 15, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I'm reading Genesis 18, 1 to 15. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. And he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Do you know, at first glance, this Bible text only gives us no more than the amazing truth of God arriving in human form, a prefiguring of Christ speaking with Abraham, and that in itself is fascinating. But at second glance, when we think about it, we're confronted with the fact that Abraham sat down and ate a meal with God. This man entertaining God for an entire evening. I mean, that's a staggering thought. The maker of the universe coming in the form of a man, sitting down in the heat of the day and spending the evening with a man. I suppose we might begin by observing that when God brought his truth into the world, he took initiative in some amazing ways. But as we think about what happened on that remarkable day, let's follow the events through. And as we do, let's see if we can learn some lessons on how to entertain God. Verse 1 says that the three men approached Abraham's tent in the heat of the day. You know, in Palestine, there's no rain from May to October, very few clouds, if any, and the sun burns very hot, and there's no cool air. And so this time of the day, the heat of the day, is a time when everyone seeks shelter. It's almost unbearable. Everyone finds shade and work stops during that time and when it's extremely uncomfortable to work. And in the part of the day when Abraham always stopped and rested, he looked up and there he sees three men. And by the end of the passage, it's obvious that Abraham recognizes God among them. You know, I once had a seminary prof who was English and he told the class that on one occasion he had dined with Queen Elizabeth. And since it is considered unacceptable to ever turn down a monarch for an invitation, a representative of the queen called Dr. Gibbs and asked him if, if he would accept the invitation if he were to receive one in the mail. 
You'll never receive an invitation to dine with a queen unless you're prepared to drop everything and be there. Well, he said he would, and later he received a very official invitation, one that he kept. And then he was told what to wear and how to properly greet Her Majesty and what kind of things were considered appropriate to say and a whole host of things you should do when you eat with a queen. Because a dinner with a queen is not like a snack with one of your pals. And if you don't do it right, well, you won't be there. Well then, how do you entertain God? Well, let me show you how Abraham did it. First, notice his humility. He ran from the door of his tent, presumably into the heat, and he bowed down. He didn't ask his servants to do that as if he could send out his people to do this. I mean, Abraham instantly demonstrates that he is the lesser welcoming the greater. You know, 1 Peter 5 verse 5 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And now next, after humbling himself, notice verses 3 and 4. He says, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Well, that little bit of water ended up with him making a mad dash to the tent and telling Sarah to get about 22 liters of flour. Now, I'm going to guess she's going to end up with at least 20 loaves of bread by the time she's done. And then he's going to slaughter a calf and something that's going to take at least another 10 to 20 meals to eat. Now he's got curds and milk going and everything else. Indeed, he prepares a feast so large and bountiful that it's literally overflowing. So notice how Abraham entertains God. I mean, first with humility, and then he entertains God with liberality, over-the-top liberality. Indeed, the very presence of God inspires liberality. And that is, we entertain God with the best we have and with abundance. See, some of us have never given to God in a way that honors him. Do you remember near the end of David's life, he sinned against God, and he saw an angel of the Lord standing with a drawn sword over Jerusalem. And at the command of Gad the prophet, David ran to the threshing floor of a man named Aruana the Jebusite, and he built an altar to sacrifice to the Lord. So David went to Aruana with a request that he be allowed to purchase from him this site and then sacrifice to God there. And Aruana responds and tells David, no, no, you can have this site for free. Hey, great, free. But here's what David says, and I'm reading 1 Chronicles 21, verse 24. But the king replied to Arowana, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that cost me nothing. You see, David knew that you don't come before God without cost. You don't offer the Lord that which costs you nothing. You know, some of us have never thought about that. I mean, we come to worship and it never costs us much, or if it does, we give to God that which is left over. Some of us have never been liberal or extravagant or given our best. We spent thousands on cars, on houses, on vacations, and on Christmas presents, and then we throw anything left on the offering plate and say, hey, that's good enough. You know, if that's you, say with David, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Listen to Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. 
But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? You know, in other words, God is dishonored when we bring him what's left over. In other words, if you treated your taxes the way you treated your giving and tithes, would you go to jail? If the answer is yes, well, then hear me. If you're going to entertain God, it has to be in humility and it has to be in liberality. It's going to cost you something. See, what else? Entertain him with an attitude of servanthood. And I get this wonderful picture of of Abraham rushing around to get the meal ready for, for the Lord and the two angels who visit him. Now listen, he could have asked God and poof, that meal would have been there. God had the power to put together a much better meal than Abraham could muster. But that's not the point. The Bible tells us that we are to serve the Lord with gladness. It is an honor, an excellent honor to entertain God. Now look, I know that what happened to Abraham is unique to him. He is God's chosen man. He is the conduit through whom God will bring the plan of salvation to the world. Abraham's unique role in the world is not reproduced in anyone else. And I'm not suggesting we entertain God the way that Abraham did. But I think I'm not abusing this text when I make application in the way that I'm making it. See, in a fashion, God is always approaching our tent making his presence known to us. See, in a fashion, all of us are being visited by Christ. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 has Jesus speaking to the church in Laodicea. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. See, every one of us, if we notice, will see that we've been given the opportunity of opening the door, and it is the great pleasure of our lives to entertain God. Do you ever wonder how your giving to Back to the Bible Canada makes a difference? Shona said Back to the Bible Canada continues to bring a drifting world back to God's Word. Don't ever change. Kim said, not only do I find the program enjoyable, it goes way beyond that to be a sustaining ministry for my husband and I, keeping us in touch daily with the scriptures. Mark wrote, I'm working through singing the Lord's song in a strange land. It is both encouraging and terribly convicting. I suppose that is what truth always does in our hearts. Jacob said, the teaching of Dr. Neufeld is so needed. Thank you for not being afraid to tell us as it says. This is the tip of the iceberg as men, women, young and old tap into the Bible. Resources provided with your support. Thank you and please keep it up. Call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or donate online at backtothebible.ca. Each of us is very different than Abraham and yet each of us does entertain God. And Abraham's response to God does indeed provide us with a template in how we respond to his presence in in genuine humility, with great liberality, and responding in gladness, yielding our lives up to him. What else can be done when the great God of heaven and earth condescends to visit with us? 
See, in our text, Abraham is now eating with God, and then a dialogue ensues. First, they want to know where Sarah is. What's about to be said involves both of them. They know that Sarah is listening very carefully to what's being said. Now, I note four things occur. The first of those four things is that God reveals to Abraham and Sarah what's about to happen. After waiting for 24 years, a a fresh wind is blowing. At this time next year, the two of them are going to have a son, and this son is God's plan to bring a blessing to the entire family of humankind. This is God's plan of salvation. I want you to think about Abraham's call in Genesis 12. I want you to remember the walk that he took with God under the stars in Genesis 15 and and the covenant that he cut with God. I want you to remember the seal of circumcision, which was the confirmation of the covenant. And I want you to remember there's been a whole awful lot of waiting going on. But now comes a timeline next year, and then it will be fulfilled. So what happens when we entertain God? Well, for all of us, God reveals his plan for us. See, I've always loved Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. See, one of the greatest things in life is to find out why we're alive, to know and identify the the calling that God has on our lives. Now, I've come to the conclusion that every single one of us has been created to carry out a, a particular ministry. When God created you, he put in you unique talents and spiritual gifts. He placed your personality together, and he has wonderful plans for your life. God created you to realize and experience your purpose and mission in life. And the greatest tragedy is to miss that. I remember standing at the bedside of a man in his late 50s who was dying. You know, with tears in his eyes, he told me that he always said to himself that he would do God's will when he got his business and his financial situation taken care of. That's when he would serve God. And now he told me it was too late. Some of you are afraid to give in to Christ's calling because you feel you might not like it. But hear again what God has said. I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I have plans to give you hope and a future. When you entertain God, you'll begin to find out what his great and grand and wonderful and even eternal plan is for us. It's all good. God wants your long-term good. He can give you good in all the details of your life. His plan is specific. His plan is good. His plan gives meaning. His plan brings fulfillment. And that's what we find when we entertain God. But that's not where the story ends. You know, Sarah's listening to the conversation on the other side of the tent, and and she laughs. See, there are a number of forms of laughter, but this is a sarcastic laugh. And she laughs for two reasons. The first is found in verse 11. And the Hebrew literally says, the way of women had ceased with Sarah. There were no monthly cycles, no period. She had reached menopause. This was impossible. This was a joke. And the second reason she laughs is because of her estimation of herself. In verse 12, she thinks she's worn out. Besides, she'd heard all this same thing now for 24 years and maybe even longer. She's heard it all before, nothing new, just the same wild-eyed passion and enthusiasm, the kind of things that young people believe, but, but not worn out old people. And I've said that there are four things that happen when we entertain God. The first is that he reveals his plans for us. Second, God's presence and his promise can expose our doubts and our tendency towards cynicism. 
I remember years ago having a conversation with a Bible college instructor, and here's what he said. He said, I love teaching 18 to 25-year-olds. They're hearing the scriptures and the promises of God for the first time, and they get excited and filled with passion. And by the time they're 40, they've heard it all before. See, if you've walked with God for many years, here's what can happen. You can lose your first love. You've heard it all before. All the Bible stories are old now. You become cynical. You'll never respond to an altar call. You're quick to criticize and quick to mock and quick to laugh. You know about life. All that exciting stuff just doesn't happen. But when you entertain God, you're faced with how different his plan sounds to your own cynicism and doubt. But there's a third thing that happens. God points out our lies and inauthentic expressions. Verse 13, God asks, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she reference her age rather than my power? And then in verse 15, Sarah denies it all. She says, I didn't laugh. So Sarah's afraid and she lies. She's been found out. And her first reaction is to try to cover up her bitterness about life. She's bitter. She's old. She's worn out. She doesn't want to appear that way. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about your life, but sometimes church is all about pretending. You know, we sing the right songs and we offer the right prayers and We open and read our Bibles at the appropriate times, and we smile when others smile at us, but inside, feel nothing. I've heard all this before, and here's the good news. Almost no one knows, but God knows. And when you entertain God, he looks straight at us and says, I heard you laugh, and I heard you groan, and I heard you sigh, and I heard you, and all your denials all expose your hypocrisy. There really is something wonderful that comes out of this. A year later, a little boy was born to Sarah and Abraham. And you know his name? They named him Isaac. Isaac means laughter. The laugh of cynicism can be changed into the laughter of of joy and the laughter of faith and the laughter of delight and amazement. And when you entertain God, you become young again. When you entertain God, you can become full of passion and zeal and enthusiasm and wonder. You can have the love that you had at first. You don't have to be worn out. You can be renewed. In verse 14, God asks the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, if you know your Bible well, you might remember a very similar question, a question that gets asked some 2,000 years after this event. It happened to a woman, but this time a very young one named Mary. The angel of the Lord came to her and announced that she will be found with child, and she is going to give birth and she is to call him Jesus. And unlike Sarah, Mary doesn't laugh, but she does ask, how will this be since I am a virgin? And then Luke records the answer given to her. It's recorded in Luke 1.37, for nothing is impossible with God. You know that the entire Bible, the, the entire gospel comes out of the impossible. Our salvation comes through a series of impossible events. An aged Sarah who was in menopause and worn out. A woman named Rebecca who couldn't have children. A woman named Elizabeth who was also in menopause. And a virgin named Mary. You would not have the gospel were it not for the fact that God comes to visit and the impossible becomes the possible. And when we're visited by God, our our faith is renewed. And at the very heart of this passage, I see a passage about renewal and revival. I see a passage that speaks to those 
who have become tired and worn out, who have begun to laugh at the zeal and passion of those who are younger and who have that bored look about them that said, you know, I've, I've heard it all before, but what's new? If that's you, let me tell you something personal about myself. You know, I remember those days when I was new in the faith. You know, we began talking about the days of a visitation of God, and, and I remember with clarity the early days of my passion. I remember the appointment that I had with God one day, an appointment that I was not aware of. But God met me on a day when I had a near-fatal automobile accident. I remember when I was new in the faith. I remember the day of my baptism. I remember the time when God met me in the, in the prayer room of Columbia Bible College. I remember my calling to ministry. I remember the miracle that made it possible to go to seminary in Southern California. I could go on and on. But I also remember the days when I was so maligned and criticized in ministry that I felt I couldn't go on. And I remember once thinking, I've sacrificed enough. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there today. Do you feel you're too worn out to have the pleasure of entertaining God? So you feel like saying, don't speak of calling and passion, just leave me alone. If that's where you are, I want you to hear the words of God in Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You know what I believe? I believe that some of us need to know that God can still use us. You want to laugh in your tent, but God will use you. He will use you for his glory and for his kingdom. He has made promises to you, and it's time to come back to them. John, I find it interesting to think back about uh, this story and Sarah going behind the tent and laughing about what God has promised her. And, you know, I guess I ask the question, how do we keep the promises of God fresh in our lives? Yeah, I, I would say that one of the things, especially if you're an older believer and, you, you know, you've been around for a while, might I suggest to you, <laughs> from my heart, hang around with some young believers, new believers, freshly in Christ believers, and listen to them or hear again what the promises actually mean to them. It's a great way to revive your faith. I'd say a couple of other things as well. Would you take note and take stock out of the things that God has promised you that are yet to be fulfilled? And then just say to yourself, man, you know what? I mean, pretty soon I'm going to see Christ face to face and, and all the things I've longed for for my lifetime, they're going to come true. So this is not the time to lag on the promises. So ask the Holy Spirit to revive you too. Thanks, John. That's great advice. Join us again tomorrow for more of Back to the Bible Canada, right here where we teach the Bible. Celebrate 60 years of Back to the Bible Canada in 2018. 60 years of ministry that took place because of your prayers and support. In celebration, we'll be announcing a number of events, activities, programs, firsts, and special resources. The first of those is our 60th anniversary series with founder Theodore Epp and Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld. I know you'll be impacted by the sound teaching and inspired by the heart of Theodore Epp for this ministry and the ongoing faithfulness to his original mission and vision. And as our gift to begin the celebrations, we want to send you this very special five-message series for free. Just ask. And for those who can remember 30, 40, 50 years of ministry ago, there may be also some special moments to stir your memory. 
So call for your copy or to make a ministry gift at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.